Well, good morning, River Rock. Good to see you guys. Thank you, band, for uh, leading us in some praise music. And uh, it's good to see our, our college life back with us. You guys are, are back here, so glad to see you guys here, too. Um, I want to welcome you. My, my name is Stephen. I'm not the lead pastor here. I'm not the lead guy. So if you don't like the message this morning, good news is next week you will not have to listen to me. Okay, you'll be back to Charlie, our lead pastor. Uh, but I, I do get to share from time to time, and it's a privilege and an honor. Uh, to be in the pulpit. If you want to grab the Word of God this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. If you got your Bible, pick it up, open it up. Ephesians 4. If you're going to use your phone, that's fine. But open up to Ephesians 4. Kind of stick your finger in there, and we'll be getting to that in just a moment. While I was driving home, I was going down Williams Drive recently, and the man in front of me was on a motorcycle. And as we were going down through the traffic, a guy was coming the other direction, and he was also on a motorcycle. Do we have any motorcycle riders in the room by show of hands? Okay. How many of y'all can guess by show of hands what happened when those two motorcycles crossed each other? You know what happened, right? The left hand drops down, and then it, it, it just briefly opens like that as you pass, and then it goes right back on the handlebar. Now, for the uninitiated, this may seem like it's no big deal. But I can remember the first time as a motorcyclist that happened for me. I was a brand new motorcyclist. I'd just gotten my bike. And when that happens, it's like the other person sees you and says, out of all these commuters today, I see you. You're one of us. You're one of the brotherhood or the sisterhood, as it were. You're special. And I remember driving down the road that first time I was on my Suzuki DRZ. That's me right there up in the mountains of Alaska on my DRZ Suzuki and uh, 400 cc's. And I passed this guy wearing, wearing the leather and you know, the, the mean looking Terminator sunglasses, you know, with like the patches and the tattoos on his like 1200 cc Harley. And you see, it didn't matter to him that he was very, very different from me. There was something else that bound us together that was much more important. And he extended his hand of friendship. He, those of you who are kind of in tune can kind of tell where I'm going with this, right? And I was a brand new motorcyclist in this brand new family. And it felt amazing to be a part of something so awesome and wonderful and kind of, it was our thing. And I'll never forget the man who introduced me to motorcycles. His name was Ron Pratt. That's Ron there. That was on one of our motorcycle trips to a glacier up in Alaska. And Ron was also my first spiritual mentor. Uh, when he saw that I was interested in motorcycles, he helped me uh, sit around his living room with motorcycle magazines and pour through which bike I should probably get. And of course, the funnest part is not even the bike, but it's all the accessories that you're going to get to go with it, right? So all my gear I had to have as well. That was really, really fun. And I remember just sitting around laughing with him and talking and pouring over those magazines. And we had a lot of fun, fun adventures too. And I think they've got a few photos here of us up in the mountains riding together. Um, traveled everywhere. We often rode together for safety. Those of you who ride a, a, a motorbike know that 
You try to stay in groups because it makes you more visible, so it's safer. But there's also a lot more camaraderie than just choosing to ride through life by yourself. I'm sure, as I look back on it, that Ron used motorcycles as a way to engage with me spiritually. He saw that I was interested in that, and uh, I guess if you're going to have to deal with a very stubborn young man, you may as well be doing something that you enjoy doing. So he introduced me to motorcycles. And Ron really found me at a time when I was primed for discipleship. I was about 3,000 miles from everybody I'd, I'd ever known and loved. So I was feeling pretty lonely. I was on my own. I was young. I was fresh out of a painful breakup with a young woman. And I just felt like I was all by myself. And also, I had a call for ministry on my life. And I think that Ron knew that, or at least... If not all of it, he knew some of that, and he sensed it in me. And so he began to work together with me and pour into my life. Over the next several years, I spent a large amount of time with him. We had ministry. We had fun together. We shared laughs. We shared tears. We shared the road, driving. Uh, I shared meals at his house. Um, His wife, Yolanda, I actually started calling mom for a certain amount of time because she would feed me. Every time she saw me, she was like an Italian mom, although she's not an Italian, but she would see me go, oh, you're so thin, you need to eat, you know, and then she would stuff something into my mouth to eat. And uh, for a single young man, that was, that was really great uh, to have home-cooked meals. But here's the point. They loved me. They brought me into a family, and they shared life with me. They shared ministry with me. They helped me grow. And I'm here to tell you that over those few years, I grew. And I mean a lot. They were this wonderful balance of both encouragement and challenge. And it's this amazing human bond that you'll see in life when you allow yourself to be gathered with these smaller groups of the saints. And you begin to really share life together instead of just a pew or a theater chair on Sunday morning. That will help you take next steps in your faith. Amen? Of this, I am entirely convinced. I would not be the man I am today. And for that matter, I would maybe not even be in ministry if it wasn't for Ron and Yolanda Pratt and for the investment they made in my life. And it's that, that bond, that family experience that brings us to our passage for today. So if you have Ephesians 4, open back up to that. We're going to begin in verse 11. Beginning in verse 11 and going through verse 16. And he, thou be God, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training or the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man or woman with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, 
promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I want you to look here at verse 11 and 12 really carefully. It says that God gives us, God himself gives us or gave us, as it were, with with some of these apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So God gives us the gift of leadership for the equipping of the saints. And in this church, God's given you an elder board and he's given you some pastors for the equipping of the saints. Do you see that in verse 11 and 12? And look carefully at verse 12. He gives us those what? For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. In the work of the ministry. And so it is the saints that build up the church in Christ. That's your first point. It is the saints that build up the church in Christ. You notice that the passage didn't say, and God gave us these apostles, these evangelists, these pastors, these teachers, and he gave that to the church to build up the church. They would do the work of the ministry. That's not what it says, is it? It says that we are the saints, that's all of us, and we build up the church. We build up the church. And that word build up, if you look it up and you study it, it has a specific connotation. And I even took the time to write these out this morning and so because I really think it, it helps us to understand it in the English. And it says, but to build up, it is a constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person up to the, be the suitable dwelling place of God. Think about a house when it's being built. With every house before it's built, there's an idea. And then the master architect will take that idea and they'll put it on a blueprint, won't they? They'll say, this is what the final dwelling place is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to function like. And then they'll hand that off to a manager at the construction site and say, hey, grab all your subcontractors and your contractors and your laborers and build this house together. And then a house rises up to be a dwelling place. And what the Word of God is teaching us here is no small thing. It is a recipe or a process for the building of the church. And it says that your pastors and your elders are here to equip you to build up the church. And that is a church that starts with you individually to help shape you into a suitable dwelling place for the Lord God Almighty. Think about that for a moment. You house the creator of the stars. And then more than that, he said, you're going to build the church. And so all of us ought to picture ourselves this morning with a tool belt around our waist. We build the church. And your pastors are here to equip you and help you towards that end. And so how do we grow? How do we do it? How do we grow? We lovingly speak the truth. Look at verse 15. What's it say in verse 15 here? It says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Now, some of us have no trouble speaking the truth. Amen? Amen, Amen, that's right. 
but some of us have trouble speaking the truth in love. In love. Some of us just like to say, well, look, I'm just a blunt person. That's how I am. That's my personality. So here it is. Then they vomit truth on you. Blah. How do you like that? How's that feel? It usually doesn't feel nice, does it? I can remember being a younger man, and this was a problem for me. <laughs> Ron was one of the guys who first had to pull me aside and go, eh, let's talk about your delivery on that. In love, speaking the truth in love. And again, if you look up this phrase, speaking the truth, here's what you get. It's a spirit-led confrontation where it is vital to tell the truth so others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. Think about that. Live in God's truth rather than personal illusion. Looking back at verse 14 where it says, then we will no longer be like little what? One more time, little what? Infants or children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching and by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of? One more time, the techniques of? Deceit. So every day, you and I are just surrounded by things that are trying to deceive us. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. And when we learn to speak truth to one another in love, we remind each other of truth. We point each other back towards the truth of God and his word. And that's how the church is built up. Not from a meeting with pastor, but from each other, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters doing the work of the ministry. And so what environment is best for that to happen? It's in small groups of saints. Small groups of saints. Now, if you just look at the New Testament, with, even with almost no Bible training whatsoever, just read through the New Testament, and it's absolutely clear, even with a cursory reading of it, that the Word of God will show you that God intended the church to exist through this process that we talked about, with pastors equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And then he went further and he said, and here's kind of the, the model for how it should work. There's a large gathering during the week and then you meet in homes, in smaller gatherings. And you can find that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5. 2 verse 46. We're not going to put these on the screen, but if you're a note taker, I know some of you are. Acts 2.46, Acts 5.42. They make it clear that every day they were meeting in the temple complex and in various homes. And so there was a big gathering once a week, and in this case, it was every day even. And then a small gathering, big and small. Now, why is that important? Because not only is this just the biblical example in the New Testament for the first church that we should model our church after, not only is it biblical, but it's just logical. Think with me for just a moment. We are Americans. We've talked about this before. And more than uh, being an American, we're also Texans. And that means that we like to go our own way. 
We like to do things our way, and we like to be highly individualistic. You know the phrase, hey, you do you, and I'll do me, right? That's, that, that's kind of the way that we've been brought up. And the Word of God says that when it comes to the church, let it not be so with you. But rather, keep meeting together. Keep gathering together. Keep speaking truth and love to one another. And logically, you know this to be true. If someone needs to encourage you about something very personal, something that's hurting really deeply in you, do you... Do you want like just a person who happens to sit in the same large room with you on Sunday to be the person that you bear your soul to? No. Right? When there's, when there's something in your life that means so much to you and it's a big victory, do you want it to be somebody who's a stranger who comes and goes, man, congratulations on that. Now, how much does that mean to you? But when it's somebody who's maybe walked with you through the hurdles and the hardships and stuff along the way, and then you finally cross that finish line, when it's that person who gives you a hug and says, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. This is amazing. I'm so happy for you. I share your joy. How much does that mean to you? And when it's something where you're kind of headed the wrong direction, you're going the wrong way, you've been deceived. Are you hearing me? I know that wouldn't apply to anybody in this room this morning. But when you're kind of going the wrong way and you need somebody to come along beside you and put their arms around you and say, I love you too much to let you keep heading this direction. Let me point you back this way. And better yet, let, I don't want to point you. Let's look at the word of God together. You pray about that. Do you want that to be a stranger that does that for you? How do you receive challenge and correction or what, what, what the Bible would call exhortation? How do you receive that from a stranger, right? This kind of stuff cannot be done as a drive-by exhortation. You know, you imagine that? The person just drives by and rolls down the window. Hey, that thing you're doing that really displeases God, and you're probably going to go to hell for it. Stop doing that, okay? Bye, love you. Jesus loves you. And roll up your window. <laughs> Nobody receives that well. Nobody receives that well. But listen, I've been on the receiving end when it's love, when it's your deep, close friend or sister or brother in the Christ who has walked with you, who has cried with you, who has ridden motorcycles with you, whatever the case may be, but it's your people. And when they come alongside you and they warn you, they exhort you, and they say, just pray about that. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you. You walk away from that encounter differently, don't you? And that's what it means to speak the truth in love. Encouraging and exhorting those two things cannot come from surface level, we happen to sit in one large room on Sunday environments. They happen when they know you. And it's happened in this church. We've had people in small groups bear their soul and say, my marriage is over, I'm tired, and I'm giving up. And we've had a brother or a sister come to that person and say, no, you are not giving up. In Jesus' name, we're going to help. And we've watched marriages be saved. There's many stories like that. But that's what happens when God's people come together in this biblical example for building up the church.
I want to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. I'll give you just a minute to go there. Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 13. It says, watch out, brothers, so that there won't be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Notice here at the beginning, first off, it doesn't say, watch out, pastors, so that there won't be any in your flock with an evil, unbelieving... That's not what it says, is it? It says, watch out who? Brothers. And we could say sisters there too. Watch out, brothers, family. Right? It's saying, brothers and sisters, you need to be the ones to encourage. And some, some translations of the, of the Bible say, don't say encourage, they say exhort. And so again, there's a subtle difference. Encouragement may be when you're going the right direction and you just need some encouragement to keep going. Okay, exhorting might be you're going kind of the wrong direction and you need to be encouraged to turn back around. Encouraging and exhorting. And that, and that word, again, if you look it up, that word means to encourage or exhort or to beseech in an up-close and personal way. I couldn't say it any better than that, church. The Word of God says it plainly right there. It says that when we encourage, when we exhort, when we beseech, beseech means to, to plea, please, in the name of God, to plea. How many of you have ever had a brother or sister plea for you? It's a beautiful thing. And it says that when you do it, to do it from an up-close and a personal way. That's not in big group on Sunday mornings. That's somebody who knows you, who walks with you. So this process that we see in Scripture, there's a process there. And I took the time and just wrote this out. I want to look at it together. It says the biblical process is pastors equipping the saints, saints speaking the truth, encouraging and exhorting, in a way which corresponds to God's truth in an up-close and personal way. That's the process of building up the church, brothers and sisters in love, speaking to one another, the truth, reminding ourselves that we marinate every day in a sea of sin and perversion of the world. It's coming out of our pores. And you need brothers and sisters to walk alongside you to speak truth because the primary weapon of the devil is to what? To lie. Jesus says that was his native language and the truth is not in him. And so we're being lied to day in and day out 24 hours a day. And without that group of saints around you in an up-close and personal way, encouraging you, telling you keep going, it, laughing and cheering for you in your victories and weeping with you in your losses and encouraging you when you're headed the right direction and exhorting you when you need a course correction. Without that, the Bible says we tend to fall into deception. So we need each other. This American Lone Ranger thing is not what God intended for the church. This type of love 
an encouragement and an exhortation. It can't be given from the pulpit. Listen, if Charlie was standing right here today, I am entirely sure Charlie would tell you he cannot do this for you. And I'm telling you, I'm not enough. I can't do it for you. Jesus had hundreds and at times thousands of followers. And you know what? For him, he had 12, and of those 12, he had three. And so Charlie can do it for three or four of you. And I can do it for three or four of you. But we're not enough, church. We're not enough without the body of Christ and each one of you going, I will be that person for three or four other people. Amen? Amen. That's right, buddy. How many of you have walked through a hard season in life when you didn't think you could keep going, when you didn't want to even throw your feet out of bed in the, in the, in the morning? When you opened your eyes and instead of saying a prayer of thanks and, man, thank you, Jesus, for another day, you opened your eyes and exhaled deeply and thought to yourself, one more day. Everything's still the same. Can I make it? There's a beautiful law in the Word of God, and it's found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. I'm going to put it up here. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, some of you are facing burdens today that are crushing you. They are crushing you, and because... You may not have brothers and sisters around you. There's no one to bear up the weight with you. And it is the sweet provision of Christ for the church that he has provided the body of Christ. All you need to do is reach out and accept it and say, I want to be a part of this team. Satan may be whispering to you and saying, don't tell them about that. Don't tell them you can't trust them. They'll judge you. Don't say anything. They won't understand. But I'm here to tell you that right here in this room, there are people who are waiting to love you and to share with you and to be transparent with you as well and to bear your burdens. And if you have felt that from this church, say amen. How can we help you shoulder that load if we don't know you in that up-close and personal way? Now, I want to be very careful here because I, I don't want to coerce you with logic and just stuff from the Word of God and truth. I don't want to coerce you into a small group program. That's not the goal. Churches don't need more programs. But as pastors, we want to equip you for spiritual growth. We want to help you through your hard times and we want to help you take a next step to a deeper level with Christ and with one another. We want to build the church with you. All of us were designed for that special community. We want you, I want you to close your eyes. We want you to catch that vision of you when God dreamt you up in his mind. This is before you were even a thought in your great-grandparents' mind. 
The Bible says that when he laid the foundations of the earth, that he knew you. When God dreamt you up, this beautiful specimen of a human being, the person you and I can be, you got that person in your mind? That's who we want to help shape in you. And, and I want to be that man that God dreamt up for me. And I know I'm not there yet. But I know that God has given me a beautiful provision in the body of Christ filled with his indwelling, powerful Holy Spirit to love me, to accept me, to encourage me, to exhort me, to lift me in prayer, and to shape me into that man. And that is exciting. Every now and again, don't you have one of those days, church, when you're just walking with God, you're walking in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, and you realize you are an entirely better person because of it. And you say, oh, if I could only be this guy or this gal every day. If I could just take this taste and make it last forever. God has given us each other to help us become those people. And that's a beautiful thing. Don't you want that? Charlie told us last week there's approximately 17,000 churchgoers right now sitting in a pew in Georgetown, Texas. Imagine 17,000 people being the people God dreamt them up to be in this town. Do you know what would happen here? Can you dream it? I want you to dream it. I want you to catch that vision in your heart and say, I can help be that person. I can make it 16,999 and I can, I can help three or four others. And if you want some, some concrete evidence of what it will look like when the church starts being built up with the process indwelled by the power of Christ, if you want to see what that looks like, just open your, your Bible to the book of Acts. And you'll see it happening in, in those pages. It's nothing short of miraculous. Imagine the impact on Georgetown. Imagine the impact of 17,000 little Jesuses in Georgetown and in the kingdom of God. It's nothing short of a miracle. And to that end, as pastors trying to equip, open up your bulletin today and you're going to find a list of small groups in there. Now I'm talking to those of you specifically who lead small groups, the shepherds of those small groups, and I'm also speaking to those of you who have chosen to not yet get involved in a small group. I want to strongly encourage you to look at that list today. It's a great time to plug in with small groups because we're just kicking off our fall groups again. So it's naturally kind of a restart time. If you want to follow the model that God has designed for the church, if you want to help others become the men and women of God that God designed them to be, if you want help 
becoming that person. This is the provision of Christ in this church to help you grow and take those steps and help others take those steps too. And so I want you to look on the back of your connection card and there's a box there that says, I'm interested in small groups. And if you're not in one today, I want to just challenge you. (laughs) I want to exhort you. Speaking the truth in love. Just take a chance. Check that box. It isn't the mafia. If you get in and then want to get out, we're not going to kill you. You're going to love it. And if you try one and it just doesn't seem like it's a good fit, the good news is look at that list. We've got more. Try a different one. But don't go on walking alone, thinking you can be a lone ranger and make it through life, growing into the person God wants you to be when God's word has shown us clearly that that's not the model that he has for the church growing and being built up. Now, I'd like to ask, if you are a small group shepherd, would you just stand where you're at in your, in, in your rows this morning? If you're a small group shepherd, if you shepherd a small group of any kind, We're missing several, I can tell by looking in the room. There's more. that They could be out serving on security teams and stuff today too. But we've got, we've got six or seven or eight of those. And what I want you to do is just think about it. Check that box today. We'll contact you and try to help you find one that fits your schedule the best. Get involved in that life-changing reality of God's community together encouraging and exhorting one another. It will not be something you regret doing, I assure you. It's God's plan. We're going to close in prayer, and if the ushers want to prepare, then we're going to go into a time of communion. Let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, We recognize that there is so much more that you want for each and every one of us. And this morning, God, we've been challenged from your word to be a people who is committed to get involved in a small group. To get involved being transparent with a few brothers and sisters. And sharing our wins and our losses and the things that really excite us and the things that really challenge us. To admit and to repent of our sin in front of one another and be healed. Thank you for the provision of togetherness in the body of Christ. God, move in our hearts. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe, maybe we've been hurt in a small group before and we say, I don't want to go back there. Give us the courage and the bravery to step back in, Father God. Maybe we've never tried it before. It just seems something we don't have time for in our schedule. God, show us that our schedule is something we control and we can rearrange and we can make this a priority in our life. 
because you want it for us, God. Help us to be that tightly knit family that we read about in your word, that the whole world looked at and said there's something about those people. There's something about those people. They seem so different. They love each other so well. And God, I want to be the man that when I stand before you, when you look at me and the man I have become, that you look at me and you say, there's something about him. He reminds me of somebody. He reminds me of my son. He reminds me of Jesus. Help us to grow into those people, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.